Chapter 4. Skeletons in the Closet Alfred's murder is a case that has had ripple effects across several generations and three family lines. Alfred's, Dorothy's and the killer, Morris Ansell's. Ansell was lucky to be spared the death sentence, but life in prison left him little hope. Or so you would think. Several years ago, a 54-year-old man in Brisbane named Rodney Lovell was doing family research, and he was curious about an uncle who lived in New Zealand, a man he remembered fondly as gentle and kind. His name? Morris Ansell. It turns out Ansell only ended up serving 15 years in prison and went on to start a new life in New Zealand. He was the brother that was the one in the family that wasn't spoken about much for no apparent reason. He was a couple of years older than my mum, uh, and that's pretty much all we knew about him as uh, as children. When did you become curious about your uncle? I became curious about uh, all my family members when I was beginning family history research. I had a couple of family mysteries not related to Morris to investigate, And as part of the family history project that I was putting together, I started to look into different relatives and obviously the closer ones first. And I'd heard a whisper that Morris had served some time in jail. So I was investigating that. And with the advent of Google, that made it easier to find out uh, what he'd actually done. He'd been up on a murder charge. So that would have been a complete shock to you finding that out? It was, absolutely. It was a total shock and a surprise to find that somebody who I knew a little bit and what I knew of Morris at that time just did not compute that he would have been capable of murder. It's funny you say that because um, the daughter of Dorothy, who I've spoken to, I think you know Joan, um, Yes. She, she describes when she sees uh, Morris Ansell's photo that she just can't imagine him being a murderer. And it's funny that you also think of him someone that, as someone that it's, you know, just unimaginable for him to be this murderer person who spent, what was it, 15 or 17 years in jail? Yes, he spent 15 years in jail that I know of. Well, I remember when I was uh, in New Zealand, I was just turning 13, and I was sharing a room uh, in Morris's house with his son, who was a few years younger than me. And Morris would come in and give his son a kiss on the cheek, and he'd give me a kiss on the cheek. And in my family, nobody kissed anybody at any time that I knew of. So that was a real shock and a, a, an eye-opener that families could be a little more physically kind than uh, my family seemed to be. So he was quite uh, sort of tender. Yeah, absolutely. His his uh, his manner was gentle. His speech was gentle. His demeanour as a whole was fairly gentle. You know, as I say, it was just chalk and cheese to have that type of man associated with a murder charge. So kudos to the rehabilitation system, and there's something to be said for uh, Mother Nature's maturity system. (laughs) What happened when you discovered what you did on the internet, reading those newspaper articles describing his murder case? What did you then do with that information? Well, as the self-appointed family historian in my family, I went immediately to my mother, who was quite elderly, and broached the topic with her. She said to me quite categorically that that was the worst time in her life, and she never wanted to 
to discuss it again. Now, I knew from my mother that any topic from those days, her standard answer would be, we didn't discuss those sort of things back then. So the times were different, and I certainly appreciated that. The unfortunate thing for me was that my mum had recently had a minor stroke, and any type of pressure, no matter how minor, gave her the feeling that she was having another kind of stroke. So I had to tread a little bit warily with my questioning. But the the line was pretty much always the same. It was the worst time of my life. Never want to hear about it. I did find out that she had visited him in jail once. Really, there wasn't much more to it than that. It was a pretty simple response that I got from Mum that uh, don't talk about it because it was so upsetting for her. What was it like meeting uh, the Atherton side of the family um, and sort of being able to connect you know, this other family which had such a big impact on your uncle's life? Well, it's a, a scenario that doesn't arise every day, that's for sure. Um, they, they were all lovely, welcoming people. And the story that is first-hand to Joan is more a third-hand story to me because it happened so long ago, well before I was born, 75 years now with the release of the documents. It's like reading an historical story but somehow it, there's a link to me in it, a very minor link, but a link nevertheless. It's uh, one of those days of our lives moments where the young man who is infatuated with an older woman, all that together is one of those things where truth is stranger than fiction. It makes uh, family history and the, that pursuit of finding out your family's history so interesting when you've got these stories you could discover. Family history, I always say to people who are ready to embark on family history, it is a it is a beast. Family history lures you in. It's a, It can become an all-encompassing passion, but you've got to be robust enough that when these skeletons jump out of the closet at you that you are going to be able to handle them because some people, even with tenuous stories, don't like the association that 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 story has to them. This season of Invisible History was first aired on 774's Drive program with Raf Epstein. Joan Atherton Hooper has now published an autobiography called Nothing to Cry About.